Happy second Brexit day, Gordon. Yeah, thanks. There'll be many to come, I'm sure. <laughs> it's Friday, April the 12th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Proud Migrant Dad, and with me today is Molly Quell, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Stumppot Chef. Our other regular co-host and sticker terrorist, Paul Peters, is once again absent because he's got a new job reading Theo Hidema's emails out loud. It's <laughs> a good job title. It's <laughs> a great job good title, work. isn't it? We were, discuss- we were discussing this week uh, that uh, the uh, Forum for Democracy MP Theo Hidema famously does not have or use email. Yeah, he does not use email. Instead, he has an assistant yes, who uses email. Who uses the email on crazy. his behalf. Yeah. So presumably has to read them all out to him. I assume so. And ask him what he wants to say back. Yeah. yeah. How is uh, being a proud migrant dad going? Gordon? Yeah, it was a very touching moment this morning because my eldest son is the first member of our family to go to the Efteling. Wow. Which I think is a, a rite you... of passage in the lives of all Dutch people. How long have you lived in the Netherlands? Nearly five years. How have you not taken your children Nobody's to, been the to the Efteling? Yeah. It's too far away. It's neglectful parenting, I think. <laughs> we have been to uh, Driefleet in Danville. That helps. But we haven't been to uh, De- yeah. the, the Efteling, I think, is the apotheosis of uh, Dutch culture. So. I hope Ferdinand Krapperhaus doesn't hear this because he'll definitely revolt. <laughs> and how's a stump pot cooking going? Uh, quite good. We made yeah. a stump pot with um, red cabbage and like oh no jelly. I know. Stump pot with jelly. <clears throat> yeah. So this week we made we, this week we made stump pot with <laughs> Hang red. On. This week we made cabbage. Uh, but you still had the hamas smoked sausage, right? Uh no, we do, we do the vegetarian thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right, okay. No, this week we made a stem pot with uh, red cabbage and jelly from the stem okay. pot Bible, which I got for Christmas. Wow. Um, and it was pretty good actually. It was yeah. surprisingly tasty. Who knew there were so many different uh, varieties of uh, yeah sweet stem pot? Never come we have like a, a this cookbook has like four hundred recipes of stem pot in it, so we're slowly working. You're our working way through, through them all. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm guessing it's a, a better gourmet experience than trying to eat all the different flavors of strawberry. Uh, I don't know. I would um, say. I think though that uh, we we are going to talk about how we can make the listeners can make you eat the different flavors of stroopwafel though, aren't we? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, that was one of your suggestions for Patreon. Yeah, it Patreon was one account. of my suggestions yeah. for the Patreon yeah. that if uh, that if you if our <laughs> listeners donate money to the Patreon yeah. that we will um, force you to eat. I don't, know, I don't know what this word force uh, is exactly doing I, in this You discussion, should have negotiated but, uh, <laughs> better. That's all I have to say. Yeah, that's showbiz. For 50 bucks, right, you will say, I love lavender strobewaffles on said. the podcast. I never consented to this. Uh, <laughs> for 50. Yeah. No, this, last week you agreed to this. It's in the podcast. Right. Anyway, but, but we have had our first patron this week, and we'd like to say a big thank you to, that's exciting. Yeah, to Kim Ferguson, uh, who lives in Utrecht, but she's from Edmonton in Canada. Which is twinned with Bergen op Zoom. And also, I discovered when I Googled it. Uh, and also twinned with Nashville. Nice. Uh, they take their partnership with Nashville a lot more seriously. I sometimes. can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to be like Kim and uh, support us with your cash, then go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. We'll give you a shout out. And uh, uh, you can also ask us a question. Um, and uh, Edmonton is the home of Canada's largest living history museum, which I think has got a bearing on the question that Kim has for us, because she listened to our discussion on returning cultural artifacts a few weeks ago and was asking how many rema- how many human remains of questionable origin are in the Rijksmuseum or other Dutch museums, and are there any plans to return them? Oh, okay, that, that is an interesting question. It's a very interesting point, yeah. I think, yes. Yeah. So the, the broader discussion was the fact that there's obviously lots of stolen cultural artifacts from a place like Africa in Dutch museums and are now 
devising a policy for how to identify these things, who they belong to and how they get them back, or right. whether they do some kind of deal to keep them in the museum but recognise the ownership. Anyway, but among all these uh, items are also yeah, things like human remains. Um, and these, these are included... Uh, I discovered from a quick check of this, these are included in, in, in this policy, which is being drawn up. There's okay. no, as far as I know, there's no specific uh, provision uh, relating to human remains, but they are going to try and identify them in the course of going through their catalogue and work out where they where they came from. I read quite an interesting du- uh, Dutch book by a Dutch writer called Frank Vesterman, who, uh, called El Nego and Nick, which is, uh, was about um, a fully mummified um, uh, corpse of, a, I think, a, a Bantu warrior, which was in a museum in uh, in Spain that he visited as a child, and then he went back there, um, and was curious about what had happened to this thing, and wrote the whole story, the backstory of where this uh, um, uh, man came from, and how he came to be, end up being preserved oh. and uh, kept in a museum in Spain. There's That's actually a big row about it, and about repatriating his body. He yeah. ended up being sent back to the wrong country. <laughs> how did they manage that? I don't know. But he turned. I, I think they did a DNA test, and then they, they misidentified him. Basically, so oh they, boy. They sent him back. He, he actually came from the Cape Town area. Yeah. But they actually they sent him back to somewhere somewhere else. I can't. Remember. I think it might have been Malawi. But okay. I'm doing that from memory. Um, yeah. So it's, so it's quite a tricky business. I think is what it comes down to. Yeah. But in the top museum in Amsterdam, which has taken the lead in um, this process to try and repatriate cultural artifacts because it has a lot of them, um, the top museum has a whole kind of cellar full of all kinds of bizarre, uh, very strange uh, human remains, including things like a, a, a tattooed uh, Maori head. Um, it has some uh, skulls from Papua New Guinea. It has um, uh, pots with uh, the brains of sixty Chinese people. Okay. Uh, it also has my favourite one of these. We can call it if, if, if I'd had to pick a favourite. Uh, is a fetus in a jar from Suriname, which has been dressed uh, in a skirt and sandals and a, and a little headdress. Uh, there's, I have no words for that. I don't know. Yeah, that's Who? very strange. Yeah. Oh man. But, uh, yeah. so the all 60s these are... were a wild time for yeah, was... museum curation. Huh? Yeah, I think this may, may have predated the 60s. Oh, yeah. A lot of this came from the time when um, yeah, things like um, uh, phrenology and uh, racial determination was, uh, were, were considered legitimate sciences, yeah. which are now are no, no longer. That's why these objects were collected, yeah. because people were studying the differences between races. Right. And they now have all these items, which uh, they've got to try and find a home for them. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. Um, but as late as 1961, the skull of a Bantu woman uh, was uh, brought to the Netherlands. Wow. Uh, and uh, is now also part of this list. collection. We're part of this collection. Interesting. So, yeah, so that, that is uh, going to be, I think, a, yeah, a very tricky process of, uh, um, yeah, and, and, and it is part of the, um, the, the attempt to repatriate uh, uh, um, uh, items of cultural heritage. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the answer we have as, as far as we could uh, well, determine. Well, that, that was a great question, Kim. We will link yeah. to our uh, original discussion about the cultural heritage artifacts uh, in the liner notes so people can go back and listen to that original discussion if they want to. Yeah. Okay. So who gets to read the Alpef this I week? I think it's my turn. Is it? it your turn? I think it's my turn. Yeah. Okay. I have much? I have seen the Alpef in question. I have mm-hmm. held the Alpef in you? question You've actually in my got a physical hand. copy of this. I had well, I How personally you... do not own it, but I have Insane. had in my hand the physical copy. Right. It's because the editor in chief of this esteemed publication that we works for continues to subscribe to the 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 issue in question, the oh, magazine wow. in question. And it arrived when I was at her house on mm-hmm. Friday and I got to hold 
hold this. So you actually got to hold the editor's own personal copy of this historic publication. Of this historic publication. I took a picture. It's on our Instagram page. Okay. On the Dutch News Instagram page. Where we should direct our listeners to that. But Mm -hmm. uh, the the publication in question is, uh, of course, the Donald Duck magazine. A very important publication in the Netherlands. It is. Again, a piece of cultural heritage in many ways. Um, Earlier in April, the Dutch edition of Donald Duck um, announced that it would include a lesbian couple in one of the comics. And this was in reaction to a 10-year-old girl called Fenner, who complained in the Journal that she only saw heterosexual couples in the comics. Um, and because she has two mothers and two fathers, she said, uh, quote, they are gay and lesbian, and I think it's important that it's shown that that's also very normal, but in Duckstadt they don't appear to exist. So they changed, they modified a panel, which where there was a couple sitting having dinner at a restaurant table, and they changed the man to another woman so you had two women sitting together yep. uh, with sort of love hearts around yeah. the next yeah they, it style. wasn't just two yeah. women sitting yeah. together they like included hearts yeah. around it to make exactly. it very clear that these are romantically involved yes. dining patrons indeed um, and the issue uh, that features this panel uh, was released earlier in the week. So on page 41, you can see these uh, two women having a nice romantic dinner together. Uh, there was wide praise for the move, but there was also some angry reactions from certain quarters. Um, social media was flooded with homophobic comments. Of course. And the conservative Christian group Citizen Go started a petition against what they call gay propaganda specifically aimed at children. The petition was signed by several thousands of people. All of whom live in the Bible Belt. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of bizarre. Well, I think it was delightful. And if you want to see if, if you do not have a copy of the Donald Duck magazine, you can see a photo of the panel in question on our Instagram page. Yeah. We've got a cheese and chips edition of the show for you this week as we tell you how Chinese spies made off with Dutch chip technology, why Donald Trump wants to slap higher tariffs on Kada and Adam, and why researchers believe a better diet can help fight crime. We'll also tell you how Ajax got on against Juventus and whether your tax demands will soon be arriving by drone. In our discussion, we'll do our best to bring you up to date on Brexit from a Dutch perspective. I muted Brexit on Twitter. The yeah. word Brexit. And I don't know anything about Brexit anymore. You, ha- you have that privilege. And I it's wouldn't. so amazing. It's delightful. <laughs> Dutch technology firm ASML has been infiltrated by Chinese spies, according to court papers seen by the Financiel Dachblatt. Highly placed R&D workers stole source codes, software, price strategies and in-house user manuals at the company's Californian base in San Jose. They then pass them on to XTAL, a rival firm set up by former ASML workers. But why can't these guys come up with proper company I names? I don't know. Someone needs to hire a decent marketing person. Exactly. This yeah. is impossible to keep track of. Yeah. Uh, in 2014, which proceeded to capture some of ASML's major clients, including Samsung. Research by the FDA uncovered links between XTAL's parent company, Dongfang Jingwang, and the Chinese Ministry of Science and Technology, which gave it subsidies to boost China's position in the chip machinery market. At the end of 2018, a court in California ordered XTAL to pay $233 million in damages, which is just over 200 million euros, for the, quote, misappropriation of trade secrets. So what does all this mean for Sino-Dutch relations? Yeah, this comes at a quite uh, delicate political time when the government is drawing up a formal strategy for dealing with Chinese economic interests that's due to be published in May. And the security service, IFA Day, has warned this month about the risks involved in using Chinese equipment for crucial infrastructure, particularly the uh, pho- mobile phone manufacturer Huawei. Yeah. Has been... Uh, yeah, it's been in the news a lot. Yeah, has been implicated in uh, all kinds of, um, yeah, basically, uh, stealing and uh, appropriating data. Yeah. Um, uh, they also said the IFA Day in the annual report that China was the biggest economic threat uh, in terms of uh, data manipulation and... Uh, and, and, and uh, information theft. Um, they said China is one of a group of countries that also includes Russia and Iran that posed a serious risk of cyber attacks and digital espionage. 
MPs have called for tougher laws to protect Dutch companies from, quote, state-led theft of technological expertise. Foreign Affairs Minister Steph Block said he was very concerned that a company as important as ASML had been targeted and called for tech firms to take cybersecurity seriously. Quote, it is not the first time that we've been confronted by industrial espionage on the part of China, he said. Personally, my biggest fear in this is the Chinese will find a way to hack Steph Block, because if they do that, it, it really will be the end of the uh, end of time. It'll definitely be the, uh, the it'll have some real problems for Brexit as well uh, here really later will. on the podcast. Yeah, so it'll be bad news all around. Yep. So, so, let's, so that, I think our first priority here is to protect Steph Block's right. in, uh, infrastructure. I agree. Yeah. The Dutch are smoking and drinking less, but official targets for improving health remain far off, according to National Statistics Office CBS and addiction monitor Trimbos Institute. A report released this week found the biggest decline in the number of people who smoke. In 2014, 25.7% of the adult population were lighting up, but this fell by over one percentage point to 22.4% in 2018. The number of people who drink too much went down from almost 10% in 2014 to 9% in the same period. Is that because there are fewer British tourists now? Yeah, I think yeah. it has a lot to do with Brexit. But the number of overweight people remains stable, with half of the Dutch population being in the overweight category, while 15% are classified as obese. And children are still overweight as well, as it says. Yeah. yeah. The number of overweight and obese children has also remained stable between 2014 and 2018. Almost 12% of Dutch children between the ages of 4 and 18 are currently classified as overweight, and 2.7% as obese. So where does the government want the figures to get down to? Well, they would probably like them to be zero. That's fair enough. But the National Prevencia Accord, a government prevention program, aims to bring back the number of smokers and problem drinkers to 5% and the number of overweight people to 38% by 2040. Mm, so it's down from 50%. Down from 50%. That's quite ambitious. It's an ambitious the, goal. The trend has been very much in the opposite, the opposite direction. direction for some time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although not with smoking, of course. Smoking is gradually declining. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately. Yeah. But and still, a quarter of the adult population here smokes. I know, I'm quite That's amazed. crazy. Yeah. 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 And, and there was another interesting health study this week about food as well. Yeah. According to research carried out by the Justice Ministry, there's evidence that shows that allowing prisoners to prepare and cook their own food reduces recidivism rates. It seems that until now, Dutch prison catering has been based on the principles of being cheap and easy. Although prison meals do provide, quote, sufficient vitamins and minerals, there are some doubts as to whether or not it's enough. According to the research, there are, quote, robust links between poor diet in childhood and subsequent behavioral problems. Okay, so does this just come down to better nutrition or is there more involved? There's more involved. Self-catering as a food system is more in line with the principles of incarceration, such as importance of self-reliance, personal responsibility and offenders, and normalization, the report said. So the fact that you actually preparing and cooking your own food and taking responsibility for your diet makes you a more responsible person all, all around. Yes. Mm. Apparently there's been a, a quite a bit of success in the Scandinavian countries, Norway and Sweden in particular, with uh, allowing prisoners to cook their own food and having that uh, help them reintegrate into society. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they're not just completely helpless, passive uh, uh, members of society. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I see, I see the logic in that. Yeah. The Brits might be leaving the European Union, but the Dutch are taking over their trains. NS's overseas arm, Abellio, has won a contract to run the East Midlands franchise, which stretches from Norwich to Liverpool, for at least eight years, starting in August. Abellio also runs train services in East Anglia and Scotland, all the parts of Britain that matter, basically. But it hasn't been hit with passengers. In 2015, it received more negative comments on Twitter than any other rail operator. It employs 14,000 people in the UK, and its services there and in Germany account for nearly half of NS's turnover. However, Abellio has had to be bailed out more than once by its parent company, 
Last November, Finance Minister Vopka Hoekstra confirmed that NS loaned 54 million euros to Abelio to cover extra liabilities. Mm. Does Hoekstra use email? Probably, okay. yeah. Just and I'm sure he uh, communicates with uh, Abelio by email. Good to know, good yeah. to know. Hopefully not emails that uh, require him to transfer money to... What was the pate scam where the CEOs got yeah, these emails the, the, with the... Yeah, the, the CEO, they, they got some scam emails. Um, the CEOs of pate got some scam emails about... Uh, um, was it some contracts to sell to yeah. cinema tickets? Yeah, and needing yeah. to transfer money immediately They, they, they transferred like, something like 17 million. Yeah, yeah before they yeah, realised it was stuff, a scam. Before they realised it was just... Like, it had been sent by some... Email address in yeah a hotmail address in Nigeria. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gouda and Adam cheese are included alongside wine, helicopters, and cars on a list of goods which U.S. President Donald Trump is considering subjecting to new import taxes. The list has been drawn up in retaliation for European support for Airbus, which is a main competitor to the U.S. company Boeing. Other items on the list which could impact the Netherlands include yogurt and fruit juices. <laughs> Another way that uh, this is a retaliation for taxes on planes that he decides to tax cheese. Yeah, it, cheese and wine. It's total Trump logic there. Yeah. It? But, um, I, so we, we thought that Gouda and Edam were trademarked. They are not. Unlike yeah. Champagne, Gouda and Edam are cheese are not protected names, and the cheese styles are also widely made in Germany and in the U.S. itself. So they're actually making their own Gouda cheese. Yeah. yeah, we don't need you stinking Europeans. We'll just make our own <laughs> cheese. And how important, yeah, you, you make your own second-rate cheese. That's fine. Uh, I've had cheese sauce in the US. It's one of the most <laughs> disgusting things I've ever passed my lips. And how important would this be for the Netherlands, potentially? Well, well it's a lot of cheese. <laughs> Gouda and Adam account for some 50% of the 700 tons of cheese produced in the Netherlands each year. Also, can we take a moment to appreciate the fact that there are 700 tons of cheese produced in this country? I know, it's quite year? astonishing. Yeah. The US is the ninth most important destination for Dutch cheese exports. It accounts for about 85 million euros in 2016. The, that's according to the most recent figures that we have from CBS. Wow, so that's a lot of cheese. It's a lot of cheese. Yeah. And how much goes to Donald Trump personally? How much of his grated on the top of his head every morning? Uh, that I don't know. I mean, as Donald Trump tends to favor like a lot of fast food, I think he's mostly just eating American cheese, which is terrible. Yeah. So it's, you know. So he, he won't miss it? No, don't think so. Ajax will have to do it the hard way again if they're to progress in the Champions League after drawing the first leg of their quarterfinal one all. Italian champions Juventus took the lead just before half-time with a flying header from Cristiano Ronaldo, but the home side equalised 40 seconds after the break through David Neres. Ajax had more chances in the game, but were unable to break down the Italians in the second half, and will now have to either beat Juve for the first time since the 1973 final, or score twice against them in a game, something they've never done before. The draw is also good news for Dutch football because it means this season's Eredivisie champions will go straight into the Champions League draw. Honestly, none of the things that you just made sense said made They make sense to real people. Yeah, apparently. Um, so uh, there was a, there's going to be an investigation into water cannon usage in Amsterdam on Wednesday, right? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the city's mayor, Famke Halsema, and the public prosecutor and the police chief uh, are all having an investigation into why police used uh, riot squads and water cannon uh, on supporters outside the arena just before the game. Supporters groups have called uh, the show of force by police an overreaction. Trouble broke out near the stadium with fans lighting torches uh, despite the ban on fireworks which police had earlier imposed. Uh, um, and in retaliation, riot police turned water cannons on supporters, some of whom were children or in wheelchairs. Were so, they children in wheelchairs? Because that would be extra bad. Who Maybe. The investigation will uh, we'll find it out. Um, also, police used horses to drive a wedge between the supporters, uh, which Ajax fans again called over the top. 
So there's going to be, yeah, um, some repercussions from that, you would imagine. Yeah. Especially if you find that they've been firing water cannons at people in wheelchairs. Yeah. There was 180, 185 people, mainly uh, the Italians who were arrested in Amsterdam before and after the game. So yeah. quite a few arrests. Yeah. yeah. But no, I haven't seen reports of any serious rioting no. either. So. Yeah, there was a city alderman who was there, Reining van Datzig, who said the situation on the ground was, quote, extremely chaotic, which yeah. it sounds like it was. Yeah. So we'll see what that brings up. Why is, I don't know, what's going on in Enschede, Gordon? <laughs> Uh, in Enschede, uh, the local council have voted to write off most of a 17 million euro loan to FC Twente. Uh, the local football club are currently 30 million euros in debt. Uh, mm. and that comes three years after the council agreed the loan as part of a 32 million euro package of guarantees to keep it afloat. Twente were champions in 2011, but have been struggling with financial problems, uh, partly as a result of overspending in that period uh, ever since. Uh, they've been relegated, and although they're on course to be promoted again this season from the Jupiler League, they are facing bankruptcy again. Alderman Elko Ehrenberg said it was a difficult decision, but the consequences of the club going under would be far worse. Not quite sure how they'd be far worse, but that's what he says. Abion Amaro Bank has also written off most of its 5.5 million euro loan, and the wealthy Vessels family is investing millions through an investment company, which sounds completely above board. That's this yeah. all sounds ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, SA Twenty in trouble basically, and right. they're being bailed out by the local council. So local taxpayers in Enschede will end be up underwriting this yeah, bullshit yeah, football club, paying for the failures of their okay. local football club. Gets your tax dollars at work, people. Speaking of your tax dollars at work. Gordon, would you want to get your mail from a drone? Uh, no. No? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter, because you're about to anyway. The cabinet wants to shake up the postal system to allow delivery firms to change the way they deliver post, such as by drone or by leaving letters at a central collection point rather than via the letterbox. Yeah. Well, will the drone also deliver those while you were out messages? Probably. Uh, yeah. yeah, that my dog just, like, shreds because he thinks they're, like, fun to play with. These suggestions are included alongside new draft legislation which has been put out for public consultation by the Economic Affairs Ministry. However, some key aspects of the current system, such as a a five-day-a-week delivery and collection, would not change. Yeah, and Postanel basically has a monopoly on the mail here, right? Nearly. Postanel currently controls some 70% of the Dutch postal market, and Sand uh, virtually controls all the rest. That's primarily business deliveries. In February, however... Postanel announced that it was taking over its main competitor for 135 million euros, effectively creating a monopoly. Mm. So the attempt to liberalise the uh, the postal delivery market has completely failed. And uh, what do uh, Postanel uh, make of uh, these proposed changes? A uh, spokesperson for Postanel uh, said the company is continually innovating and improving services. Quote, digitalization is leading to falling postal volumes and we will look at draft legislation in the coming weeks. Okay. So, so that's what they said. Something might happen. Maybe by drone. We'll be discussing the latest implausible plot twists in the Brexit soap opera after this word from our sponsors. I'm so excited to talk about Brexit. (laughs) You're really not. Here in Holland is the podcast in English about life with the Dutch. Stories to make you laugh, cry, pull your hair out or jump for joy. Every two weeks, available in your favourite podcast app, on Spotify or at hereinholland.com. I, I have muted the word Brexit on Twitter. So yeah, you were telling me this. Yeah. And it is. And, and your life has become much better. My life has been so better. much better. Um, if anyone is looking for a quick, like, sort of happiness boost, <laughs> you should mute the words Brexit and Trump That's on Twitter. That's your quick pro tip. And yeah, you will feel life, so much better. Your life instantly. Exactly. And, uh, so more much more pleasant. Yeah. But as a result, I have no idea what's going on with Brexit. No. Well, we can tell you now. 
Just when you thought the stockpile of Brexit disaster metaphors had been exhausted, the European Union delivered a fresh batch this week when they delayed the UK's departure until Halloween. Oh my god. After her withdrawal agreement refused to die, despite MPs' efforts to kill it with a sharp stick, Theresa May was allowed to stagger on zombie-like until October the 31st, with the spectre of European elections looming ahead of her. Unless she can exorcise the Brexit demon by getting her deal through Parliament before May the 23rd. Or will she finally pull the plug on Brexit before the giant blue monster comes to life and goes on the rampage? So what happened this week? So Britain was supposed to leave the EU today. April the 12th. Actually, wasn't it due to leave the EU March 29th? <laughs> yeah, this is the second Brexit day okay. now. That hasn't happened. The March 29th deadline was extended by two weeks, when, and when it was clear that uh, the UK still wasn't ready to leave, Theresa May went to Brussels to ask for another extension, this time until the end of June. But there was a sticking point, because if the UK is still an EU member on May the 23rd, it will have to hold European Parliament elections, which are scheduled for that date, and that's something both sides are keen to avoid, because obviously you don't want to be electing MEPs who then leave a couple of months later. Plus the fact that other countries will then get the seats that the British MPs give up. So, for example, the Netherlands will now not get three extra seats that it was due to get. Right. So, EU Council President Donald Tusk proposed a, a flexible extension as a compromise that would last till the end of the year, but it could be cut short at any time if Theresa May somehow managed to get the withdrawal agreement passed by Parliament earlier. Okay. So, the other leaders, uh, some other leaders uh, talked about a 12-month extension until next March, but when the talks ended early on Friday morning, they came up with a slightly surprising date of October the 31st. So why did they pick October the 31st? Because it's Halloween and Brexit is a horror show. That is extremely fitting. Yeah, and we've run out of Titanic metaphors, so we had to have a different, uh, <laughs> different yeah, sort of means. something else. Yeah. Now, the main reason was that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has taken a much more hawkish stance than most EU leaders. Uh, Macron basically is fed up with the whole Brexit deadlock. Um, he wants things to be over and done with, and he's made plain he wants the UK to leave yesterday. Don't basically. we all? But that puts him with, at odds with most of his colleagues who favour a longer extension. Rather excitingly for Brexiters, there are finally signs of a split between the 27 EU nations. But it's too little too late, really. And it's not about the terms of leaving or the future relationship, just about what day Britain gets uh, gets to leave. Some commentators said that Macron had uh, got his way, and uh, he certainly was keen to play that up and say that he'd saved uh, the thing from being strung out too long. But what we really got is a kind of compromise between his hardline stance and the longer game that uh, Tusk and most of the other uh, major players wanted to play. Uh, Macron has also insisted that 31st of October is a hard deadline and that is the absolute final, final deadline, but uh, we've seen that before. Yeah, this is, so we've, that'll be the third hard, hard coming yeah. yeah, exactly. So, how do the Dutch feel about all of this? Uh, well, Mark Rutte welcomed the extension. He said the decision was an acceptable compromise, mainly because it avoids the prospect of a kind of cliff-edge, no-deal scenario. He also said it was important that the union continue to function, which is a very Rutte quote. Yep. Uh, Foreign Minister Steph Block, and if there's one thing that's been reassuring to happen this week it's been the dead hand of Steph Block um, being laid on the Brexit discussions is it have we seen Steph Block and the Brexit monster in the same room together at the same time no we have because the photographs were of him with the Brexit monster yeah the Brexit monster wasn't moving was it yeah no maybe it was just the propped up cop little weekend at Bernie's Brexit monster action I, yeah, I can imagine stranger things. But, uh, yeah, if anyone could take the drama out of the situation, it's Steph Block, yes. basically. And he said it was important to have a regulated Brexit. That um, sounds like a very Steph Block thing. It really does. Uh, Rutte was reported to be irritated by Macron, um, insisting on an earlier deadline. Uh, but in the end, he and Angela Merkel agreed to uh, bring it forward. So Brexit is at least bringing us all together and coalescing around our hatred of the French. Yes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So does this give Theresa May, like the space to end this like parliamentary deadlock i uh, mean what is anything gonna happen 
No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, it buys a bit more time, and yeah. I think it uh, it does a bit. It's a very tight deadline. There isn't really space for a massive overhaul. There's not quite enough time to have a second referendum. There isn't really much time either for, say, the UK to elect a new government, which then starts the negotiations all over again. And a big problem, of course, is that Theresa May still doesn't have a majority in Parliament for the withdrawal agreement. And Donald Tusk has explicitly ruled out reopening the deal. In fact, that was one of the conditions for having an extension that they don't reopen the deal that's on the table. So it's basically, it's basically said that the whole point of the extension is it gives the British government more time on their side to try and actually get the withdrawal agreement signed, sealed and delivered. Right. So there's nothing. the European Union is going to do nothing now. It's just going to sit and wait. What there is going to be is going to be kind of like, like a sort of halfway check. At the end of uh, June, they're going to review the situation. And if Britain is still at an impasse, and crucially, if it hasn't held elections to the European Parliament, then there will actually be a no-deal Brexit on June the 30th. This is so confusing. Okay, for people who have wisely muted the word Brexit (laughs) on Twitter and have no idea what is going on, the UK voted for Brexit. Yeah. Theresa May invoked Article 50, which is the Mm -hmm. clause to leave the European Union Treaty, on May 29th, 2017. So that gave them two years to negotiate a Brexit deal, which means the UK should have left on May 20... March 29th, sorry, Mm -hmm. uh, 2019. It didn't. In the meantime, in November, I think, Theresa May managed to negotiate a deal with the European Union that then had to be passed by Parliament, which Mm -hmm. Parliament has just repeatedly in about 8,000 votes refused to do. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, there was a major leak in Parliament and it dumped water all over the press, which is a great metaphor. So the EU graciously gave them a two-week extension, three-week extension to April April 12th, which is today. They still have not passed any sort of deal. So now they have given them a flexible extension to the 31st of October, Mm -hmm. which means the UK can pass the deal any time between now and the 31st of October and leave. And leave straight away, basically. But if they don't pass a deal by the 31st of October, we're back to a hard Brexit scenario. We're then back to a no-deal Brexit scenario, which is the one thing that this was explicitly designed to avoid, basically. Except, (laughs) unless... The UK does not manage to hold European Parliament elections, yeah. in which case they just crash out and there's another hard deal Brexit. Yeah, there's a hard Brexit or a no deal Brexit. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's where we are. So there is kind of a hard deadline of 31st of October. There's a soft deadline, I suppose you could call it, of June. On either of those dates, uh, there could be a hard no deal Brexit, but uh, everyone seems keen to avoid that, including, I think, crucially, uh, Theresa May. Is in, uh, and one symbolic thing that happened this week is that the UK stood down the sort of 6,000-strong army of civil servants who've all been busy preparing for a no-deal Brexit scenario. So there's a, there is absolutely no infrastructure now to prepare for no-deal, which kind of implies that the British government is is going to somehow or other ensure that no-deal doesn't happen. Because no-deal, of course, remembers the default scenario. If right. everything falls through, you get no-deal, yeah. because you know, that is the definition of not having a deal. However, I think that they will find ways to string it out. But that, of course, means, even though Theresa May has said quite explicitly before she went to Brussels this week, she does not want to hold uh, elections to the European Parliament, that if they keep on kicking the can down the road, they will have to hold elections to the European Parliament. Otherwise, there's going to be a no-deal exit. Okay, so this is all very clear and makes tons of sense. Um, And I'm sure our listeners are not at all confused. Is there anything else regarding Brexit that we should talk about? Well, I suppose the other um, big um, elephant in the room is, uh, of course, that at any time the British government can simply revoke Article 50. Right. It can simply pull the plug on the whole thing. It can do that unilaterally. The European Court has given it that guarantee. 
Okay, so, so do we think Theresa May just comes to her senses and revokes Article 50? Well, the thing is, she doesn't want to, but there's kind of a school of thought developing that this is going to become now the new default option because everything is moving away from no deal. But yeah. the only alternative to no deal, if there isn't the withdrawal agreement, is revoking, revoking Article, Article 50. 50. Theresa May has also said that she will um, resign at some point. In fact, she promised to resign if they got the withdrawal agreement through last time. She also said that she won't be Prime Minister going into the next general election, whenever that is. That's another thing that could happen. There could be... Um, yeah, what if the government yeah. falls? If the government falls, yeah, indeed, there's a no-conference motion, then in that point there's a general election. There will then be a new government almost certainly, even if it's another Tory government, it won't be with May in charge, it'll be yeah. somebody else. I think that's one of the things that motivating Macron, actually. He's worried that the Tories could replace Theresa May with someone who is even More. less reasonable, who's yeah. going to negotiate in even worse faith yeah. than Theresa May, and the whole thing is going to be in, come to an absolute standstill, and there'll be no prospect of any kind of negotiated withdrawal at all. But there will also be no prospect of revoking Article 50 either. So it's kind of the, the whole thing is designed really to put pressure on Theresa May to either get the withdrawal through or revoke because everyone's sort of tacitly agreeing that no deal should not happen. Yeah, I mean, a no deal Brexit seems like a terrible fucking idea. Yeah, yeah. it does. And the fact they're not doing any preparations now for no deal would make no deal even worse than it's going yeah. to be. Okay, that um, sounds like Brexit's going great. As, a, as an American, I would like to thank you for <laughs> fucking up so badly that basically nobody seems to be paying any attention to Trump, despite the fact that he's, like, banning cheese from the Netherlands. This, like, just kind of, like, washed right on by this week in the news. But nobody, uh, nobody cares about this. Nobody cares about that, Because no. you guys have screwed up so badly. Yeah, so we're just going to quietly have all our freedoms eroded away. But at yeah. least I don't have to be humiliated in public living abroad. <laughs> so thanks for that. That's great. That's no, okay. Um, so... You are a British person living in the Netherlands. Yeah, for now. What happens to you and the like of you? Well, it doesn't change much right now because the Dutch government has arranged this transition period until the end of June 2020. Has the British government considered hiring the Dutch government to organise Brexit? It should. It really should. (laughs) They should just borrow Steph Block. Yeah. Or clone him or something. I don't think that'd be too hard. Um, Well, then the Chinese would hack him and it would be really bad. Yeah, it would be bad. He starts uh, coming up with racist speeches and uh, that kind of thing. But the transition period until the end of June 2020 means all British citizens um, will get to stay here until then and in the meantime they will all get letters inviting them to apply for permanent residency and that will also continue to apply to anyone who arrives between now and the Brexit date whenever that is. Thereafter Britons will be able to apply for residency on the same terms as Americans, South Koreans and Japanese so you will need to pass your integration tests but you will be exempt from the authorization for temporary stay requirement. Uh, So you have a fair, it still won't be too hard basically as long as you've got a job yeah, basically. basically. You'll be able to live I here. mean, they let me stay on a permanent basis. Well, for, in that case, for, let anybody in. For inexplicable you? reasons. <laughs> exactly. Um, but some of our long-term listeners may recall that your particular Brexit-related situation was extra obnoxious because yeah. you were going to be just short of the five-year mark on March 29th. So could you perhaps update us as to whether or not you were going to be deported from the country, which is secretly what we had all <laughs> that's the only question you wanted. It's the only reason you want to talk about Brexit at all, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty much, To see yeah. whether you could actually get those shots of uh, me being dragged off to the plane with my, while my with children, children behind crying. crying. Like, well, the, the bad news for you is that... <laughs> <laughs> the good news for your children. <laughs> <laughs> the good news for my kids. No, is that uh, I indeed um, registered with the commander uh, at the end of April 2014 which meant that the original Brexit date uh, was going to be just one month before I got to my five year residency and therefore eligibility to apply for Dutch citizenship but now that Brexit has been put off 
it will certainly not happen by the end of this month, even if Theresa May wants to, to happen next month. I will have lived here for five years and I can um, yes, start applying for Dutch citizenship if I so wish. Also, of course, I'm the father of two... Dutch uh, children. I'm the, I'm the sole uh, custodian of two children with Dutch passports. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I was never really felt I was in too much danger. And I think the general noises coming out of the Dutch government that uh, British people are welcome to live and work here uh, were also quite encouraging. So, yeah, but... but it's yeah, really but unfortunate it, it, it does put, government it, it, unfortunate for you, really, yeah. But so, so, so you're stuck with me, is, uh, I, um, is a short However... Um, I am going to insist that you and podcast favorite Ben Coates take an integration exam that is put together by <laughs> are Paul you and I. It? Yeah. yeah, so yeah. we are going to create an exam, and you two have to pass it. That is the deal. And if we fail, what happens? Um, you have to eat stamp pot with jelly. <laughs> as long as it's not lavender strawberry <laughs> and lavender strawberry waffles. No, no, right, no. Yeah, this is terrible. Okay, so uh, one last question regarding Brexit. Yeah. Um, there is another fun and exciting exit-related acronym, and that is. Nexit. Yeah. How's Nexit going, Gordon? I thought you'd never ask. Ugh. Yeah, Nexit uh, was the bright idea uh, of Thierry Baudet's Forum for Democracy. The official uh, podcast OPEF generator. Indeed, uh, our OPEF mascot. But they've removed all references to Nexit from their website in a kind of Orwellian fashion because uh, they claim uh, the media's been stirring up panic about Brexit. It's not that Brexit is inherently chaotic in any way or that there's medicine shortages or that the government has been spending two years negotiating something they can't get through. No, uh, um, uh, it's all a media fantasy. Okay. But Forum says it supports an exit, but it wasn't planning to leave the EU tomorrow. Well, that's good. Uh, they didn't even back a motion by Geert Wilders' PFFA, who are the other big pro-Nexit party, uh, which called for an immediate no-deal Brexit. Oh, my God. Even though Baudet said in TV interviews that that was his preferred option. He says he wants a referendum on membership of the EU and the euro currency, but he would leave in stages. Whatever that means, given okay. that you can't, because uh, you know Article Fifty uh, doesn't. Well, it's that one way. or the other, man. Yeah, <laughs> so he's basically kind of lining up his own form of Brexit, where he sort of talks about it, what a good idea it is, but then just kind of hangs around like a bad smell. And an opinion poll last September uh, found that only twenty-one percent of Dutch voters support the idea of leaving the EU, while fifty-five percent wanted to stay. So he's a bit of a mountain to climb if he wants uh, Nexit to be a reality. I mean, Brexit was a dumb idea. Yeah. Nexit is like an exceptionally it's a dumb super idea. Stupid I mean, idea. it's like yeah. the dumbest possible idea. It's probably the most the country that's most sort of hard integrated into yeah. the European economy, basically. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as you just look at it for two minutes, it becomes apparent what a ludicrous idea it would be to kind of try and uh, sort of have this very small country that's extremely well connected to the rest of Europe cut itself off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got nothing. We're just going to end there. <laughs> That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You'll only have a free shout out on the podcast and you can get to ask us an interesting question. And if you donate 50 bucks, we will make Gordon say that he loves lavender stroke waffles. Yeah, just say it, but I won't actually have to eat any. I'm glad we made that clear. My thanks to Molly Quell, not to Pal Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch and we'll be back next week. (laughs) 